Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, November 30th, 2021 episode of the musical universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you've never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now, with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is guitarist and songwriter Dwayne Betts. Guitarist and singer-songwriter Dwayne Betts cut his teeth sitting in regularly as a teen with Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, the Allman Brothers Band. A Sarasota, Florida native, Betts relocated to Southern California and led Malibu rock outfits such as Backbone 69 and White Star, then ascended to a near-decade stint playing guitar alongside his father, Dickie Betts, in his group, Great Southern. Whether as a touring guitarist for folk rockers, Dawes, or sharing the stage with luminaries from Jack Johnson and G-Love to Kid Rock and Phil Lesh, Betts became a consummate musician, honing his craft and issuing his first solo effort in 2017. After a brief but celebrated stint with Jamtown, a supergroup featuring Love, Donovan, Frankenreiter, and Cisco Adler, Betts took his own six-string stories, impassioned songs portraying a life and a history steeped in blues, rock, and country music tradition, and released his long-awaited recording debut, Sketches of American Music. With venerable guitar, time-worn vocals, and enlightened, seasoned songwriting, enlisting the guiding pen of respected songsmith Stoll Vaughn and veterans Steve Cropper of Booker T and the MGs and Mark Ford of the Black Crows for a production hand on sessions in Nashville and Los Angeles, Betts delivered Sketches of American Music 
in April of 2018. In support, Betts released two videos for the EP's singles, Taking Time and Downtown Runaround, and undertook a year-long world tour with the Devon Allman Project. Betts also reunited with Dad Dickey and his band for a round of summer 2018 tour dates before officially announcing at year's end the formation of the Allman Betts Band. In December of 2017, Devin Allman was ready. After a year of mourning the losses of his mother and father, Allman was ready to make music again. He deeply appreciated all of the condolences and well wishes, but respectfully, it was time to forge ahead. Allman organized a concert at the historic Fillmore in San Francisco to honor the music and memory of his father, founding Allman Brothers band keyboardist and singer Greg Allman, and also to debut his new band, The Devon Allman Project. A proverbial star-studded affair with guests such as G. Love and Robert Randolph, the marathon performance also marked the beginning of a partnership with Dwayne Betts, son of founding Allman Brothers band guitarist and singer Dickie Betts. It was time in that historic venue to pass the spirit to this next generation. It was time to take all the lessons of the past, all their collective experiences, and make something new. 2018 provided them a certifiable proof of concept. Performing a repertoire gleaned mostly from their respective solo careers as well as a handful of brothers' gems, the Devon Allman Project with Dwayne Betts consistently drew audiences growing in size and enthusiasm with each successive leg. Now they were both determined to embrace a new challenge, to write and record new music that could someday join the classics, to wow new audiences, to form a new band. During off days on the bus or in the hotel rooms, Devin and Duane collaborated on new original material, inviting respected songwriter Stoll Vaughn for writing sessions on the road. On the still smoldering heels of the hugely successful Project World Tour, Devin and Duane circled back to their roots for this ambitious next step. They called up their old friend, Barry Duane Oakley, son of the Allman Brothers Band's former founding late bassist, Barry Oakley, and floated the idea of joining them. The trio's musical friendship traces back to the Allman Brothers Band 20th anniversary summer tour in 1989, when the first three first met and often sat in with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. Teenage descendants, rightfully joining a rock and roll legacy. As well, they recruited seasoned players from the Project Ensemble. Slide guitar sorcerer Johnny Stachella, drummer John Lum, and percussionist R. Scott Bryan. In November of 2018, they announced the formation of the Allman Betts Band.
Enlisting producer Matt Ross Spang, the band booked a post-Thanksgiving week at the famed Muscle Shoals Sound Studios. They brought in Greg's former bandmate, Peter Levin, and former, former Almond brother and current Rolling Stones keyboardist Chuck Level as guests, adding organ and piano. For a subsequent world tour, they recruited keyboardist John Ginty. Motivated by classic recording techniques and vintage gear in the historic Alabama studio, they cut the album live. No computers, no digital editing. Setting up as one in the studio, they tracked nine songs on two-inch analog tape, resulting in their debut album, Down to the River, a top 10 entry on several rock charts including number one on iTunes Rock, released in June of 2019. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Dwayne Betts. Hello, Dwayne. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's uh, great to talk with you, and uh, I've been looking forward to the opportunity to have you on my show. You know, the first question that, that came to my mind after doing a lot of listening um, is uh, to ask you, is how does what you're doing with the Almond Betts Band differ from other bands or projects that you've been involved in? Well, uh, it's a bigger band for one thing. Um, well, that's not necessarily true. I, when I was with my dad's band, that was a that was a two drummer band and keyboards and three guitar players. So, um, I think the freedom of what I get to do. I mean, I was in bands. I played in bands of my own, and then more of late, I was I was playing with in other people's bands, you know, as a musician, like my dad, and, and I was with Dawes for a while. And, and so, I mean, I just try to learn something from every situation, you know, mm -hmm. um, and the, this band is, is kind of our baby. And, um, you know, everybody gets to, to, to shine, you know, we get to shine a light on everyone. And sometimes it can be hard, because everybody really does their, their own thing. And, and a pretty, pretty, good way you know mm -hmm. um so <clears throat> it just depends on uh, how long we want to play but but um yeah i mean when it all comes down to it i mean i think it's just about having some songs and you know hopefully you can get lucky and write a, a great song you know and mm -hmm. and um and then the live show obviously the improvisation is such a huge part of what we do and what our family you know the family of musicians you know not and by that i don't mean the Almond Brothers family, but people that are just come from that kind of sensibility of playing free spirited improvisational music, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I really love, I really love playing to the audience and, and, you know, I love, I love when a good song comes, comes our way, you know, if, we're, if a couple of us or three of us are sitting in a room mm -hmm. um, or it's, or if it's just me, you know? Sure. But, uh, Okay. But yeah, it's, it's been nice. Well, you know, um, I'm going to just make some suggestions here and you can, you can 
either agree with me or or certainly straighten me out one or the other okay <laughs> cool uh the almond bets band is not a cover band per se it's not like yeah, i don't cover. think it's a cover band at all not a cover I mean, band i think i think it's a unique position that we're in because you know on one hand you could really say man you know we've really got to create our own identity so we can't play as much as we love playing an Almond Brothers song you know because that's our our family's music and that's we love that music it's some of the greatest music we we really have to stay away from that because we need to forge our own path and then there's the other thing of like playing too much of it which would be fine by a lot of people you know mm -hmm. um and then there's kind of what we do, which is play a couple, sure, and 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 then play a bunch of our stuff, and maybe you know throw some other covers from other people that we have artists that we admire, and and okay, and uh, and so I mean, it's kind of the deal with what a lot of bands do. They just don't come from. You don't have three people in the band that their family that their their parents were in the same band you know yeah, yeah. so i mean i i think it's cool i mean it is what it is right i mean sure I'm not gonna, you can't change it i mean i understand um why someone you know you never want to feel like you have to play and i don't i certainly don't feel like i have to play one of an almond brothers song every mm -hmm. night you know but at the same time i, I think it's like some of those folks expect to hear one at least you know yes. and, and and we love playing that music and if i'm playing 10 of my songs and you know and you know i don't mind i definitely don't mind playing one you know i i, I like playing them you know i yeah i understand i mean you're kind of in a unique position because it's part of your musical dna and it's yeah. part of your actual dna yeah you yeah. know, because you do have that family relationship, but musically, you also have that uh, as part of your sound as well. And, yeah. you know, yet you're looking for uh, a unique uh, path. I would also, I was thinking, though, listening to a lot of your your most recent album, uh, yeah. that it seems to me there's a lot of the same musical DNA that maybe would be found in Southern rock bands or bands that are labeled Southern rock bands since the 1960s. For example, the use of multiple guitars and harmonized guitar riffs, uh, harmonized vocals, and the use of organ. And I think that's um, something that I find. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sounds. fair to say that. I mean, I think that's fair. I don't, you know, I don't particularly, I never liked the term Southern rock because it kind of, I always had kind of a, I mean, I know that's what it is. It was rock and roll from the South and they call it Southern rock. I mean, but I kind of like, you know, to me, the Almond Brothers was much more of a jazzy jam kind of free flowing. I mean, it's a much different kind of, without, within being kind of the same kind of music, their mm -hmm. kind of music is a totally different kind of music than Leonard mm -hmm. Skinner, you know? Uh -huh. So yes. it's, a, it's like a world apart within kind of being in the same world. So mm -hmm. I don't, um, but yeah, it's definitely Southern rock and roll, you know, but I mm -hmm. mean, the Rolling Stones sound or Little Feet or, you know, all of that stuff sounds Southern too. I mean, not, not uh, Paint It Black doesn't sound Southern, but 
like torn and frayed and you know mm-hmm. everything on exile sounds like rock and roll which is southern music exactly <laughs> so, exactly you know, I mean, I, and, and rock and roll and and so it's kind of a little but yeah i mean it's definitely it's definitely fair to say i mean we love the black crows i mean people will probably call them southern rock because they're southern rock and roll and but they're also you know sounded a lot like faces and free and the rolling stones so i don't know it just gets into well into thing. but yeah we definitely have the we definitely have those influences definitely well see i kind of uh my position i guess is the whole idea or the label southern rock is is somewhat redundant because you're right rock and roll appropriated sounds associated with the south blues gospel I think Greg Allman had a quote and uh, sometimes Greg would just get right to the, you know, once Greg said to me, he goes, I was talking about, I was a kid and I was talking about how good somebody was or they weren't, or, you know, Mm -hmm. my opinion as a 14 year old or something. And, uh, and I would say, well, he, you know, he's not as good or something. And Greg, uh, Greg looked at me and said, man, it's all about putting the gravy on the mashed potatoes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, and so one of the other things, I think he had another quote that, you know, so he had a really simple way of saying something that really was meaningful and effective, you know, and yeah. getting the point and getting the point across. But one of his other quotes was saying Southern rock is like saying rock, rock, Exactly. you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, Leonard Skinner is Southern rock, definitely. Mm-hmm. Sure. If there's a, you know, I love early Marshall Tucker band. I think I love Leonard, I love Skinner, you know, the early Skinner mm-hmm. stuff. I love Ed King and and Ed King is, is, I've been listening to a lot of, a lot of the stuff he played lately because mm-hmm. I never really got into them as a, as a young kid, you know, when I was kind of listening to, Pink Floyd and Jimi Hendrix and getting into some of the other classic rock bands, I kind of glanced over them and then came back to them. And when I was out in California, all the surfers in Malibu were listening to Skinner. And I was like, wait, this stuff is badass, man. I got to give props, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, but um, recently I've been listening, you know, and I love Steve Gaines as one of my favorite guitar players. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, I was often, I've often thought that bands that were labeled southern rock but you also named some other bands that are like the stones for example were mostly bands that weren't just from the south but bands that really revived an association with the roots of rock and roll which seemed to kind of be diminishing through the 1960s and into the early 70s and so then Mm -hmm. you've got groups that come on and they start using uh, more blues oriented songs or even recording a blues song like whipping post yeah uh, or uh uh you know and using those kinds of sounds because they were beginning to kind of disappear for, at least from american mainstream rock and roll and pop music now the english mm-hmm. they were very good students and so yeah. yes we hear the stones playing a very strongly blues in infused sound and that loose kind of bluesy swagger and we hear that from some of the other uh english uh yeah i mean play anything like that you know i mean you can definitely draw a distinction from you know 
the proggy stuff but yeah. but yeah i mean rock and roll you know i mean look there's a lot of ways to do i mean you can say that i mean led zeppelin playing a blues thing is a lot different than you know it's a different world than the rolling stones and that's a different yeah. world than when the almond brothers play stormy monday i mean that's that's i mean greg was a blues a pure blues singer you know so that's a different it's kind of you can really get into the idiosyncrasies of everything and and then you know as humans i think we try to it's our instinct to kind of organize and put things kind of explain things and sometimes it's just music you know it's sure. all just music you know well, and it's, it's, it's like the right, if you it's like the... it if, if you like it then if it does something if it, it you know i mean whatever it is i mean it could be something that you know well, it's, it's really those that market music that have to have labels because yeah, they got, they have yeah. to know what they're selling and who they're selling it to. But I think, I think there's a, there's a, it's like a human instinct to, to try to, you know, to organize things. And sure. so, and so, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, what kind of music does the Grateful Dead play? They play Grateful Dead music. Exactly. Know? You know, and they have some of the records sound much different than their other mm -hmm. records. So when you talk about how they sound, you need to be specific and, right. you know, well, what era are you talking about? You know, yeah. so. Yeah. Well, it's just like when I tell people I teach at the university and they ask me, well, what do you teach? And I say, well, I teach music. And the first, next question is always, what kind of music? You know, yeah. And, <laughs> And I teach all kinds. I mean, you know, yeah. I've taught history of rock and roll, history of jazz, world music, music appreciate, you know, the whole bit. So mm -hmm. anyway, labels are probably just labels, but uh, yeah, it yeah. is interesting to talk about particular sounds and what they're really infused with and, sure. and why they have an appeal to me. I give you an example. Last night, I was listening to uh, the new album by Blues Traveler. Oh, wow. Cool. Oh yeah, and I didn't know they put out a new one, but I'll uh, I'll listen to it. They're yeah, yeah. There's a old new one. friends of mine. I used to uh -huh. sit in with them when I was like 15, 16 years old. I I'd sit in with them as they were, you know, they were opening for the Almond Brothers. So I uh -huh. I was they were nice. Well, anyway, to... they a lot of the songs on their new album are not originals. They're they're taking a lot of uh, standard blues tunes, like Ball and Chain, for example. Mm -hmm. and doing what i think is just a marvelous uh remake of that song even though cool. you know, we know it was written by big mama thornton but yeah. uh it was uh really really pretty cool so yeah you check it Janet, out. janice joplin did that right yep she sure did yeah she sure did well and, you could uh, probably school me on a lot of stuff because i'm not i'm not an aficionado of of anything per se but i mean i yeah. love music and i know a lot yeah. of it that's the way i am I don't know everything, but I love music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dwayne, tell me, who were models for your singing style? Man, I just love people that, that get an authenticity across that are sincere. Okay. You know? I'm not really a natural singer. Like, I didn't start singing until, really singing out in front of people until my, my mid-late 30s. So. Okay. Um, but I mean, I love, uh, I love Neil Young, you know, I just love songwriters that get their, 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 their uh, emotion across. But as mm -hmm. far as singers that I love to listen to, like, I mean, I mean, Greg Allman and, and 
not that I try to sing like Greg, but mm -hmm. I mean, he's one of my favorite singers, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love Chris Robin. I love, I mean, I love like Otis Redding. I love Ray, uh, Ray Charles, all of those people I like to listen to, but mm -hmm. I know not to try to sing like Ray Charles, you know? Sure. Yeah. That would be a <laughs> mistake for me. I am curious to know on, on the latest album, uh, you, it seems to me you pretty much you and Devin do the vocals. Mm -hmm. uh, do you Barry do... sang uh Barry sang one? Oh, did he? Okay. He sang the the kind of uh the, the doctor's daughter, which is a piano kind of mm -hmm. kind of a George Harrison wings kind of it's kind of a kind of Pink Floyd kind of has mm -hmm. those kind of vibes on it. But do you it's then... not southern rock at all? Well, <laughs> yeah, there is little... slide guitar in it. Anytime, yeah. people, anytime there's slide guitar, people's oh, it's Southern rock. But I don't think on that one, that one sounds a lot more Floyd, Floydian. Uh, is that a word? Floydian? Floyd well, S? It is, it is now. <laughs> yeah. It may not be it in the dictionary, like but you, you and, just coined and, it. And, and Wings and, and George Harrison a lot more than. Yeah. Uh, well, Alan you... Woody had a great quote about the only. He, he had a quote and i mean whatever it's just but he did have this quote it was in guitar world magazine i think yeah and his quote it was in the on the page in quotations it was uh this band is not you know in his accent he had this great accent it was like this band is not a southern rock band we sound more like mahavishnu than molly hatchet <laughs> yeah yeah okay. you know i mean and if so if molly hatchet if that's southern rock then you know i mean yeah then i'll pass on the southern yeah i mean sure. i'm not nothing against molly hatchet i like flirting with disaster i mean they were good at what they did but sure well when you guys record do you primarily do the vocals on songs that you write um yeah i mean with the Almond Betts band, it's it's a little different because it's highly collaborative. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the songs that I have a big piece in that mm -hmm. are my work, you know, kind of a lot of times, uh, a lot of times it it yeah, I'm on a podcast. No, don't clean in here. I'm sorry, I did my phone. Oh, your phone. Okay, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, just come in and get it. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. Yeah. No worries. Thank you. Um uh what were you talking about? You were talking about uh oh the songs, yeah, the singing. Uh yeah. Yeah, like Rivers Run. I had a large hand in that one with the every you know, the lyrics and the you know, stall helped me really put that one over the fence, you know, with, mm -hmm. with changing some lyrics and stuff. But that's more or less, you know, my song that I'm proud of. And, and so, I mean, that one just kind of lends itself to my voice more. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, and Devin had a large part. I think he wrote Southern Rain with Stahl, but he had a very large part of that mm -hmm. song. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's going to sing that one. And then um, Ashes I wrote with Stahl. And mm -hmm. uh, I had the idea for that sitting around for a while. Um, Ashes of My Lovers and, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, it kind of works itself out like that. Okay. I think what right. I think it's I think it's it's probably accurate to say that. Okay. So it, you know, it sounds to me like when you guys are in the studio though, it's a real kind of a 
collaborative. There's probably we a big deal. We're going to sing before we go in the studio. Oh, you do? Yeah, okay. We write, we don't, I mean, unless we just come up with a tune in the studio last okay. minute. But I mean, we've definitely written in the studio while we've been in there, but we don't, we haven't just written something from scratch in the studio, yeah. you know, because time is limited. And, yeah, and expensive. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, that's great. Um, I'm interested to know, uh, Duane, about your creative process. Uh, when you write a new song, what's what comes to mind first? Is it a melodic idea, a rhythmic idea, a particular set of chord changes, or do you go after a particular mood or emotion? Um, chord changes in a melody usually. Okay. Every now and again, I'll just be driving the car and the melody will come in my head and then I'll, you know, and then I'll put it on a voice memo thing. But you, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, there's hundreds of those that aren't yet songs, you know, that are just mm -hmm. sitting there. So it's not like I've done that. Uh, and a song has made a record that I did like that, but, but, um, Usually it's the just the the blueprint, like the foundation of it mm -hmm. and where it'll go and the melody. And um, you know, I mean, some some writers that are really gifted with just writing, you know, poets that just write poetry all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. they'll just have notebooks of stuff and then they can apply that. And mm -hmm. I've probably done that a little bit, but most of the stuff that that you've heard is 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 done the opposite way mm -hmm. like the way mm -hmm. that i mentioned first sure well you you shouldn't be too surprised to know that a lot of singer songwriters i've talked to over over the last uh, year have that very similar kind of experience they're usually driving in the car or riding in the car they'll get an idea and they'll sing it into their voice memo on their iphone yeah yeah you know well a lot of times um it's best to you come up with something then you get away from it and go and once once you know you're kind of onto something then you can kind of put it down and go on a walk or or you go run an errand, errand and drive and you have it going in your head mm -hmm. so you already have what you've already done and then mm -hmm. you can think about like a path for what makes sense for the song but i mean i mean writing songs is hard it's i mean it's not easy for by any stretch of the imagination, even for people that it seems super easy to, that are prolific, you know. Oh, it's it's I mean, a craft. Writing, it's a, it's writing a craft. songs that are, I mean, writing like like good songs, you know, writing great yeah. songs. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it takes work, you know. And you're not going to write any songs if you're if you're working on something else all day, or if you're mm -hmm. not picking up a guitar, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a or it's a, a piano cra or whatever. It's a craft. Whatever. Yeah. And you have to hone that craft on a regular basis to keep it going. Yeah. I've got, uh, because I am a college professor, I have to ask you one kind of academic type question. That, uh, you know, the ancient Greeks and Romans used to say that the purpose of tragedy in drama was to serve as an emotional cleansing, a catharsis yeah. for those yeah. witnessing the drama. So I want to ask you I've about your songs. Well, then, see, I'm not just making it up. No. <laughs> uh, are the songs you write done with an idea of providing an emotional catharsis for yourself yeah. as a reflection of personal experience, or are they songs constructed to elicit a catharsis for others? No, it's just like if I get if, like 
think it's more, there's a feeling something enough comes to you that it makes sense and you're, you're moved by it yourself. And then, you know, you're on the, you know, you're on the right path and you've got something that's worth finishing. And then, and then you, you are, you know, once you've kind of bottled the lightning, you know, it's mm -hmm. pretty obvious to what you're saying, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think it's more like, explaining you know your experience you know mm -hmm. sure just just trying to just expressing you know your experience and and uh and if you think something's beautiful then you can project that beauty you know mm -hmm. if there's okay. if there's something a memory that you have that's beautiful and that's that's uh that's um timeless and that's um it, you know precious you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, then, then you can, you can kind of show that, you know, mm -hmm. through a song. I understand. I understand. I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, are you currently, or maybe I should say, are you constantly writing new material? No, no, no. Okay. I mean, <laughs> just really honest about it. No, I mean, I'm always, I always have ideas uh -huh. kind of like, you know, it's not that I don't, uh kind of have stuff but I, I mean what i'm trying to say is that we were just on tour for sure two, like two and a half months and it mm -hmm. was like i mean it was probably a little too long but <laughs> but uh but when you're working like that and you're you're just kind of focused on that and sometimes it, i mean we write on the road too i'm not saying it's hard to write on the road mm -hmm. um but I mean, when I really would like to write is, is when I'm just like during COVID mm -hmm. last summer, I just didn't have anything to do. And I could just be in the same mm -hmm. space, have, you know, get up, have the whole living room, just pick up the guitar. The, the notebook was still open from the night before, have coffee, you know, um, and you can kind of get on a roll like that. You know, but sure. when you're working and you're catching flights and you're on eight hour bus rides and you're, you know, at the end of the summer of the work schedule, and then you get home and, you know, you want to go on a vacation to get yeah. to reward yourself a little bit, you know, and, and, and take just time away from it all, you know, sure you do. But so I just was on vacation and I did bring a guitar and I played a little bit, but we were so busy walking around and seeing things and we were moving constantly, you know, cause mm -hmm. you know, to see different towns. And, and so it wasn't a priority of mine, Sure, but, um, but now I'll get back into it, you know, and mm -hmm. we'll start writing for the next record more. And, and mm -hmm. uh, but I have written in the last couple of months, I have written mm -hmm. some stuff that, um, that you'll probably hear. You know, well, I mean, that's perfectly understandable. I mean, traveling, yeah. touring, well, not the last couple months, the last, the last several months, you know, yeah. the last couple of months, I just said I was on tour for two and a half months, but the last, you know, in the last several months, I'd, I'd say there's a couple that, that I'm really proud of that, mm -hmm. that, uh, that'll probably, they'll be on, they'll be on a record, whether it's, yeah, they'll probably be on the Home of Bets Band record. And if not that, then they'll be on a, you know when i do a solo record whenever that is they'll be mm -hmm. on that no i mean i think what you're saying is perfectly understandable touring is very draining 
it's tiresome travel is tiresome. well it's it's it, yeah i mean and, look, and it I takes mean, a lot different of types of touring i mean if you're you know if you're just on a couple week run you know mm -hmm. and it, you know that's one thing if you're on a couple month run that's a whole other thing oh sure so but yeah, yeah. i mean and, and, will tell you that. yeah and i understand you know sometimes the brain works best when it's quiet yeah you know i mean you, it was it away. was really great because i we stay in uh in jackson wyoming so mm -hmm. my wife that's where she lived when i met her uh -huh. so we have a place there and it's an amazing inspiring peaceful place it's quiet i mean i can walk out of the the front door and it's like it's just oh you know mm -hmm. it, it feels so good and if you're just kind of no stress about like having to do anything like last summer there was it was like well i guess we're gonna just chill out for a while and wait yep. for this to pass by with covid and everything mm -hmm. and so i'd go hiking and and you know eat <clears throat> good food and drink a lot of water and just be healthy and and then i, I mean that's that's when i find once you get onto something you can really get into a good mode you know mm -hmm. a daily kind of reprieve and and uh into into you know that world that that exists in your in your in your mind you know mm -hmm. the artistic side you know sure i understand you kind of yeah. hinted at it is there a new almond bets band album in the works um yeah i mean we're always working on something yeah we're we're we've kind of started yeah we've started the process for that and we're going to revisit that process we kind of we're going to get back into putting putting it all together and uh mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't i don't know exactly the timeline i don't want to give too much away but no that's we'll okay yeah because it's it's probably information that you could tell me but then you'd have to kill me so you know uh well it's going to be hard for me to kill you when you're uh <laughs> I'm just... on a zoom when i'm on a zoom call with you <laughs> I, i'll send somebody over there Dan. that's what i mean yeah i mean Where do you, you know. live? No, it's yeah. just more of a metaphorical statement because yeah, I, I, I understand. I, I, I talked to a lot of people about. I was interviewing someone yesterday, and and uh, she's got a new uh, recording coming out. All she could tell me is it's going to be released sometime after the first of the year, and that's all I'm yeah. going to say. You yeah, know, because yeah. she's restricted by you know what she can talk about. I'm not restricted I, by any. I just don't I know. And yeah, I, yeah, I don't I know. really want to get too far into it because and there's there's nothing absolutely in the can. I don't want to create too big of an expectation. <laughs> I hear you. I hear so. you. All right, I'm going to now ask you what will probably be the hardest question I'm going to ask you. Oh man! All so right, I, let's all right. Bring it so, on. all right, what have uh, what's been the most memorable experience of your career? Um, and there's been a lot of really memorable experiences. That's why it's a hard question. <laughs> um, most memorable experience, man, that is really hard. I'm going to, I told I'm you it was a hard question. Think about that. Well, I want to have a good, uh, I think the last show I played with my dad at peach festival, that's okay. probably, that's probably um that probably meant the most to me because he did a really good show he played mm -hmm. well that day you know it was he had come out of retirement and he, you know he's a little older and and so he had to work a little harder to to get up there and do it and that was the last show we did about four or five shows i think um 
and they got better and better and better. And by the end, that 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 was a the closing Sunday of the festival. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a good slot, you know, on the main stage. And I, I think he played right before um, before Government Mule. Oh, okay. And uh, and uh, you know, that was his first time there. He'd never been to Peach, but um, you know, obviously after leaving the band and everything but mm -hmm. anyway to make a long story short it was really kind of a, a triumphant moment and i got to mm -hmm. be there with him and and it wasn't supposed to be his last show but as it turned out you know he had some health problems right after that and um sure. and that's how it worked out but but that was really great and then um you know i mean as far as playing with with people that you respect and your heroes and you know I mean, I think um, in venues, you know, that you, you love, I mean, there's probably, there's so many places that, that um, some of the stuff, you know, one of my favorite folk, uh, one of my favorite festival festivals is, uh, is um, Newport folk, folk Festival. Sure. You know, and we got to, when I was playing with Dawes, we got to back up Elvis Costello there. And mm -hmm. We did a cool one other year we did. Um, the 50th anniversary of um of the dylan going electric set you know and and yeah. there was a bunch of really cool people on that so i mean there's cool stuff like that and then you know anytime you get to play at red rocks is it's mm -hmm. amazing we're actually playing at red rocks i don't know when this comes out but we're playing at red rocks on thursday which is mm -hmm. in two days um and that's a thrill you know sure that's a beautiful it's the first thing. time first time this band has played at red rocks mm -hmm. um, we did I, I did something with devon before the almond bets band existed with and that was actually with blue it was blues traveler was the headliner it was on mm -hmm. july 4th um 2018 it was mm. the whalers blues traveler and g love and us uh -huh. but um anyway but yeah, those are a couple moments. All right, you probably have a zillion more, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, there's ones I'm not thinking of, but you know, because I mean, you know, I played at Woodstock when I was like 16. Mm -hmm. The Woods Woodstock '94, mm -hmm. you know, not the one that they burned the whole place down. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was very um, surreal. I will say yeah. it was very surreal. It was awesome. I just remember not being nervous at all because so I would get nervous to sit in. You know. Sure. When, you know, and uh, I wasn't nervous at all. That's great. It was just so it was like it was like you were in a dream. You couldn't see the end of the crowd. It was mm -hmm. yeah, something that huge. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I'm sure you, you could probably tell us a, a bunch of others. But I'm you know, I, I, I love what you have said about your dad. I think that's one that's really got to be meaningful to you. And, uh, you know, on a not just a professional, but a very personal level as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that was a good, solid choice. Yeah. Well, Dwayne, <laughs> is there is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about? Um. Just stay positive and uh, go out there and enjoy yourselves and be safe and take care of one another. Okay, that's good advice. How about that? that that's, that's, that's really good advice. I think <laughs> we should all follow it. And I, I will also remind my listeners, and so Dwayne knows I have uh, lots of 
links included in my show notes uh, to more information about Dwayne and about the Almond Betts band and uh, and uh, recordings and all all that uh, goes with it. So, Dwayne, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today. And, oh, thank you very uh, much for having me. You bet. And all, and all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future. Oh, man, thank you so much. That means a lot. And uh, it's my pleasure. Talking. You bet. You bet. Cool. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Great. Okay. My discovery composer of the week is Louise Ferrin, born in 1804 and died in 1875. She was a descendant of a long line of royal artists, including several women painters, and a sister of the laureate sculptor Auguste Dumont. She showed artistic and musical talent of a high order at a very early age. By mid-adolescence, she had developed into a pianist of professional caliber, as well as an exceptional theory student and promising composer. At 15, she began training in composition and orchestration with Rika at the Paris Conservatoire. Her marriage in 1821 and subsequent travels interrupted her studies but she resumed intensive work with Rika a few years later. Ferenc's earliest published compositions for piano appeared intermittently between 1825 and 1839. All were issued by her husband and several were published in London and Bonn. Of special note are the Erus Varie, reviewed appreciatively in 1836 by Schumann in the Neue Zeitschrift für Musik. So sure in outline, so logical in development, that one must fall under their, the variation's charm, especially since a subtle aroma of romanticism hovers over them and the 30 etudes in all the major and minor keys extolled by the critic Maurice Bouger in Les Revues et Gazette Musicale of 1840, who prophesied that the collection would become a piano classic, not only to develop technique, but also to mold taste. The ensuing years substantiated Bouger's prediction. In 1845, the Conservatoire adopted the etudes as required study for all piano classes, and the collection was reissued in 1886. Ferenc's orchestral composition comprised two overtures, 1834, and three symphonies completed in the 1840s all unpublished, although each work had more than one Paris performance, and there were single performances in Copenhagen, Brussels, and Geneva. Her most notable contribution is the chamber music, uniformly fine in craftsmanship and exceedingly tasteful and attractive, if a shade unadventurous. Two piano quintets, 
one from 1839, the other from 1840, established her reputation among critics and cognoscenti. Both works were performed by the composer many times in the following years at musical soirees and matinees. In 1844, Ferenc completed two piano trios, also frequently performed and received with generous critical praise. Her productions of 1848 to 1858 include two violin sonatas, a cello sonata, two more trios, and two works for unusual combinations, a nonette for wind and strings, and a sextet for piano and winds. Despite the limited audience for instrumental music in opera-dominated Paris, the nonette catapulted its composer to near celebrity, the more so because the young but already legendary violinist Joachim took part in the 1850 premiere. The Institut de France honored Frank, Frank in 1861 and 1869 by awarding her the Chartier Prize for her contributions to chamber music. In 1842, Albert, the director of the Conservatoire, appointed Louise Ferrand, professor of piano, a post she retained until her retirement in January of 1873. The only woman musician at the Conservatoire in the 19th century to hold a permanent chair of this rank and importance. She distinguished herself by the excellence of her teaching, demonstrated by the high proportion of her pupils who won competitions and went on to professional careers. Outstanding among them was Ferenc's daughter, Victorine Louise. After Victorine's death in 1859, Louise Ferrand immersed herself in the task of compiling and editing Les Tresors de Pianistes, initially in collaboration with her husband and after his death as sole editor. She shared his ideal of reviving earlier keyboard music and helped to make it a reality through a number of séances historiques in which she and her pupils performed selections from the 17th and 18th century repertory. From her own research and experimentation, she had gained a remarkable comprehension of the essential problems of early music performance style and her extended introduction to the first volume of Les Tresors, Dessigné d'Agrément, was issued as a separate manual entitled Traite de Abbreviation, 1895. Ferenc's role in music history carries significance beyond that ordinarily accorded to a competent minor composer. Having worked in a society whose women musicians attained prominence mainly as performers and in a cultural environment which valued only theater and salon music, she merits recognition as a pioneering scholar and a forerunner of the French musical Renaissance of the 1870s. The All Music Guide lists 28 recordings 
of Ferrand's work. In my show notes is a link to a performance of Ferrand's Etude in F-sharp minor, Opus 26, number 10, performed by Madalena Jones. That wraps episode number 58. My show notes, along with links to artists' websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Coming up next week, I'll be interviewing Nashville-based indie alt-pop singer-songwriter Hadley Kennery. We'll be talking about her latest EP, Crooked Roots, released on October 29th. Other upcoming interviews will include Nashville-based and Chicago-born blues singer-songwriter Lauren Anderson, Milwaukee-based vocalist and saxophone diva Suzanne Grisana, Nashville-based singer-songwriter and mother of two Katie Callahan, and Oklahoma-based twin sister duo Lavendine. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have any questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.